Hey, welcome to another exciting podcast from Freedom House Church. My name is Troy Maxwell. I'm the senior pastor of our church. We are one church that meets in multiple locations, which means we have different communicators at all of our different locations. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from one of our teaching teams. I know that it will bless you. You will walk away changed. So enjoy this message. Hello. How's everybody doing today? Good, good to hear. My name is Michael Holt. Um, I'm on the teaching team here at Freedom House. My home campus is South End. This is my first time being with you guys on a Sunday morning, so thanks for being so hospitable. Appreciate it. <laughs> I want to very quickly start off by just saying that I'm nobody special just because I'm up here on this platform. I need Jesus and God and His grace and His forgiveness just as much as anybody else does. So I just pray and hope today that as I share some things that he's shown me in his word, that we can connect on that because we all have our struggles, we all have our failures, we all have our things that we go through. So I hope that as you're looking at me up here, just because I'm physically elevated, um, we all need God just as much. So I hope that you guys can see that as I'm up here. Um, very exciting news. We all know uh, that Lake Norman campus has been underway. And on the 18th of October, there's going to be a worship night there. It's going to be amazing. Everybody is welcome. Um, so definitely put that on y'all's calendar, October 18th. And then the 20th is going to be the first service at their new location. Come on, guys. That's awesome. We went from our main campus here to South End, now Lake Norman. The sky's the limit. God is doing amazing things at our church. As you guys saw in the introduction, um, we're in a series called Anthropology, and it's all about the study of human societies, cultures, and their development. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we're in a very interesting place with our society nowadays, right? Everyone has access to everyone else's opinions, the internet, marketing, advertising. We're just in a very interesting place as a society right now that I think a lot of us never expected we'd necessarily be in. And so as I was thinking about that, I started to wonder about some of our defaults as human beings. What are some of our defaults when we're tired or we're bored or we're angry? Like, what are some things that we just tend to lean towards when we're not really trying to be a good person, if you will? So as I was thinking about these and applying them to myself, I came up with a list. Um, and I think that if you're honest with yourself, a lot of them will apply to you. All of them apply to me. <laughs> um, number one, we want things to be easy in our life, right? We want things to be easy. If we could choose for something to be easy, we would go that route. If I could go to the gym for five minutes and get the same results as I could get after an hour, which one would I choose? Come on, let's be honest. Now, as someone who has ADD and struggled in school, if I could have read for 30 minutes instead of four hours and barely passed, I would have chose to study for 30 minutes, you know? We all tend to lean towards easiness. That's, it's, it's easy for us, and that's why we choose it. Next, we think about ourselves first, Right? As a default, we kind of think about ourselves first. I wake up and say, I'm tired, I need coffee, I don't wanna to work today, don't talk to me, it's all about me. <laughs> now on a good day, I'll think about my wife first, maybe a couple times, you know what I mean? <laughs> but generally, I think about myself first and, and how I'm feeling. It's very easy for us to think about ourselves first, whether it's intentional or not. It's just a default that we tend to have. Next, and we see this a lot nowadays, I would say that a lot of us are easily offended and angered more than we ever have been before in the past because we have access to someone's opinion in Idaho that we're never gonna meet and they just ruin our day because of something that they said, right? Now me, I'm a little bit different. I get offended at offended people. I don't care about politics or any of this kind of stuff, but if I see someone offended, I'm like, why are they so offended? And then I'm like, wait, I'm offended. And it's just this really weird, vicious cycle of offense 
that I really want to get out of. But it's easy nowadays to be offended and easily angered with everyone's opinions out there. Next, I think we all want to matter or feel important, right? And that can look different for everyone. It could be relational or it could be business. You want to be successful. You want people to answer to you. You want people to value your opinion. If it's in a relationship, you want someone to love you. You want them to desire time with you. You want to feel like you matter and like you're important to people. That's, that's something that I would say all of us kind of lean towards sometimes is we want to feel important. And lastly, and I think this is one that's very easy to look over, is that we're fast to forgive ourselves, but slow to forgive others, right? I can do something a hundred times, but I know my motives and my reason behind it, and I can convince myself, oh, I'm gonna change soon, I promise. But Jerry over here doing something three times, I'm like, strike three, you're out, you don't exist to me anymore. You know what I mean? It's easy for us to forgive ourselves because we think we know our own motives, but it's easy for us to get mad at other people and push them away, even though they may be doing the same thing that we're doing. It's easy for us to forgive ourselves and not others. And so as I was thinking about this, you know, I love bringing God's word into my messages whenever I'm up here because it is living and it is breathing and it is ever-changing in our lives as we go through. You know, you can read a verse one day and then a year later read the same verse and get something completely different out of it. And so I really wanted to find a story just full of scripture that represented this. And the Lord led me to the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. We find Jonah, a man being challenged by the Lord, and we see many of these characteristics in his story. And many of you may have heard the basics of Jonah. You know, he's a man who was swallowed by a fish. And that's kind of just, you know, what happened? He's a man who was swallowed by a fish, you know, whatever it may be. But we're going to lean into this today and, and, and see how God moves in his life. And we're going to see the things that happen in Jonah's life. And we're going to pull a lot of them out. And I honestly think that many of us will be able to relate to this story of Jonah. In chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction. He literally turned the opposite way that God told him to. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. The Lord asked Jonah to do something and he said, you know what, God, I'm gonna do the exact opposite. But here's something that we need to know. God doesn't need us, he wants us, right? God doesn't need us to get done what he needs. He doesn't need Jonah to accomplish what he wants. If he wanted to, he could make Jonah do it, but that's not a loving relationship, right? And that's why we love the Lord so much because he allows us to make our own decisions so that we can see how much we need him in our life. God doesn't need us, he wants us. We see Jonah running here from the Lord, and it's actually kind of comical when you think about it. I can just imagine him getting to the ship being like, I got the last ticket, God. What are you going to do? Oh, I'm just going to follow you in the sky. That's what he's going to do. <laughs> Jonah thinks that he's running from the Lord. It's pretty funny. But the reason that he's running is because he's uncomfortable. It's not easy. He wants things to be easy. He doesn't want to do what God is calling him to do because it's something that is challenging. And so we find Jonah on a boat running from the Lord. Verses four through five says, but the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. In these verses, we find Jonah sleeping during a storm. He's clearly only concerned about himself, right? He's like, they can handle it, whatever. I'm down here, I'm tired. I don't wanna deal with this. I'm going to sleep. 
So he's only thinking about himself. He doesn't care if other people are hurt at his expense. He's so focused on what he's going through, but he isn't even aware of how he's affecting others. Have you ever had that happen in your life where you're just going through something and you're just like rude to everyone or you just don't wanna deal with anyone, you don't wanna give them the time of day and you don't realize that as you're doing that, you're affecting others negatively, thus making it worse on yourself in the long run. We see Jonah here running from what he's going through. Now Jonah and the crew eventually begin fighting about what's going on and he tells them to throw him into the ocean. It's kind of interesting. In verse 12, Jonah says, I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. So despite knowing that the storm was his fault, Jonah ignored it, hoping that it would leave. Once again, we see Jonah being selfish and only thinking about himself. Have you ever just gone up to your room and gone to bed hoping you would wake up with a new job? <laughs> You're just like, I'm, I can't deal with this anymore. My boss, my coworkers are annoying. I'm just going to go to bed. I'm going to wake up and it's all going to be fine. Jonah goes to sleep and ignores the situation, hoping that it will get better. In verses 15 through 17, and then chapter two, verse one, it says, then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power. They offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. In verse 16, we see God using what Jonah's going through to impact these sailors who didn't know him. Because of what Jonah is going through, these men can see the power of God and they change their ways and they say, you know what, we're serving you now. So I know that it may be hard sometimes as you're going through things in your life, but you need to realize that in our weakness, God's power is made strong. And by the things that we're going through, people can see God's power in our lives and say, how did you make it through that? And it's like, I didn't make it through it. I mean, let's be honest. It was God who helped me through this. And so because of what Jonah is going through here, these men and these sailors on this boat are able to meet God and see his power. We go on to find Jonah alive inside of a great fish for three days and three nights. But what I find interesting was that he was there for three days and then he prayed. It said he was in the fish for three days and three nights, and then Jonah prayed. Now, this is just my opinion, but based off of Jonah's track record, as someone who seems to have it all together, he's doing everything that he wants to, I can just imagine him being inside the whale, like kicking its cheeks, like punching that punching bag, you know, the uvula on the back of your mouth, like in cartoons. He's just doing his thing for three days. He's like, I'm gonna get out of this, this fish. I don't need God's help. And then after three days, he's like, I'm exhausted. I'm still inside this fish. All right, God, I'm gonna pray to you. Have you ever found yourself doing that in your life? You just kind of pull up your bootstraps and you're like, I've done this before, I can do it again. But just because you can accomplish something doesn't mean that you don't need God to be a part of it. Just because you've done something before and you're experienced enough and you're strong enough to do it doesn't mean that you don't need God to be a part of what you're going through. And so we finally see Jonah praying to the Lord and he asks him just for help. Obviously, he's inside of a fish. But what this also made me recognize was that sometimes in life, I think my prayers aren't important enough for God and that he has better things to do with this time, right? But the Lord tells us in Jeremiah 29, verse 13, but if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you. And this tells us that no matter how big or small the thing is that we're going through, God wants to be a part of it. He wants us to invite him into our lives and the situations that we're going through. But what you need to realize is, 
Just because you pursue him wholeheartedly doesn't mean he's gonna show up with the yes that you want. Just because you invite him in and pursue him and say, God, come into my situation, I need you here, doesn't mean he's gonna show up and say, uh, yes, you can date that person that you've had a crush on for a long time. Or yes, you can have that job that you want so badly. He's gonna show up and give you the answer that you actually need, not necessarily the answer that you want. So that leads me to tell you that God's no is way better than my yes. Let's be honest. God's no is way better than my yes in life because my yeses are based off of emotions and situational things. My yeses can make me feel happy and fulfilled for a year, but God's no can maybe hurt for a little bit, but in the long run, it's gonna be so much more fulfilling. So what we need to realize is as we bring God into our situation, sometimes he's gonna say no, but as we take a step back and as we go through life and we see the things that we've been through, we're gonna understand that his no is far better than our yes. In verses two, um, in verses two through nine of chapter two, we see Jonah's prayer, okay? So he finally prays to the Lord. It's a little bit long for me to read for you guys today, but if you're someone with an imagination or if you don't have a weird imagination like me, um, then I just really wanna challenge you guys to read it. I was reading this and talking to my wife about it and she's like, what is going on in your head? Like, you're really weird. It's like a movie seeing his prayer. But we see Jonah praying and, and he, eventually he apologizes like many of us do in our lives. At the end of his prayer, he says that he will worship and sacrifice God and so much more. And then, he, and then the Lord tells the great fish to spit Jonah out on land, and then God tells Jonah where to go. But again, Jonah is apologizing like many of us do in our lives when we realize that we are wrong and we invite the Lord back into our situations. How many times have we been like, God, I'm sorry I did it again. I know you told me not to. I know your word told me this. And we worked it out, and I got good for a while, right, God? Like, I did better than last time but we end up inviting him back in because constantly we realize that we don't have the strength to do all of this on our own and that we need God to be a part of the situations in our lives. Jonah chapter three, verse one through two, it says, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message that I have given you. We see the Lord giving Jonah a second chance to be a part of his plan. Again, remember, God doesn't need Jonah here. He wants him. He gives him a second chance to be a part of his plan. And so I wanna, I wanna challenge you guys today. Is God speaking to you in a manner of, of giving you a second chance to maybe start a business that it could be or to maybe forgive somebody that you need to forgive? Whatever it may be, is God giving you a second chance today? He's been, he's been speaking to you in your heart and you're like, God, that's just too challenging. I don't wanna do it. That's too uncomfortable. I've never done this before. I'm not good enough at this. I don't have any experience in this. But we see God reaching out to Jonah again to invite him in to be a part of his plan. And it's amazing that he doesn't need us, but he wants us to be a part of his plan. It goes on in verses three through five. It says, this time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah went into the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. Now, Jonah does what the Lord says this time, and he tells the people to turn from their ways, repent, and follow the Lord, or their city will be destroyed. But one thing that we're going to find out is that Jonah had his own agenda in this. He was doing what the Lord told him to do, but he had his own selfish motives in the situation. It's like if the tithe bucket comes around, you pull out your wallet, and you're like, 100, 200, who's looking, 300, 400, put, did you guys see me put that in there? God doesn't want that money. He doesn't need that money. He wants you to be a part of what he's doing. It's not about you, it's about him. 
And what we're gonna see here with Jonah is that he has his own motives and his own intentions into why he is doing what God calls him to do. In verse 10, it goes on to say, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. Now, when I first read this, I was a little bit afraid to bring it up because there's a little bit of a challenging statement in here. It says that God changed his mind. It's like, wait, what do you mean he changed his mind? Did he mess up? I didn't think that God messed up. I thought he was always perfect. What's going on here? Why did he change his mind? It says that God changes his mind here and doesn't carry out the destruction that he threatened. But God is using this process to show Jonah what grace is like. It was more about Jonah walking through this whole picture than God changing his mind. God doesn't make a wrong decision. If he changes his mind, he does it to show grace and mercy. What God is doing here is he's saying, Jonah, guess what? I could have destroyed them, but I can also change my mind and forgive them. Guess what, Jonah? You can be offended at that person at work or you can change your mind and forgive them. God was able to do either of them. The people would turn their backs on him. He could have destroyed them and it would have been okay. But what he was showing here was, no, that's not who I am. I'm loving. And I'm gonna show you that you can change your mind and forgive. And how many of us need to do that today? We need to stop and we need to choose. We need to say, okay, I have a choice here. Do I wanna get mad and offended or do I wanna choose to forgive? And that's what's going on here as God changes his mind. And how many of us are grateful that the Lord's grace and forgiveness in our life has been an example of him changing his mind? I mean, come on. How many times has God looked at what we've done and said, yeah, they're messing up again, but I'm gonna change my mind and show them grace and forgiveness because I love them. I am so grateful that my God changes his mind and shows me grace. Jonah chapter four, verses one through three, it says, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah. Guys, what is he doing? He needs to get over himself. He's being crazy. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Jonah's being a baby right here, let's be honest. He's like, those people need to get what's coming to them, God. Come on. And that's why he's upset. His motives in doing it, his motives in going into Nineveh and telling them what was going on was because he wanted to sit back and be like, I told you so, God. I was right. I told you so. But what we need to make sure that we don't do is mix our motives with God's mission. We cannot mix our own personal motives with God's mission. Because if we bring them in, it's gonna bring toxicity, it's gonna bring anger, and it's gonna bring emotions, and it's gonna just infect the whole situation. So we need to make sure that we keep our own motives distant and away from God's mission. Again, Jonah wanted the people of Nineveh to get what was coming to them. He was so upset and offended at the fact that the Lord isn't going to punish them that he allows his offense to miss out on forgiveness. He's so offended that he isn't able to just look at God and be like, wow, how are you forgiving them? My goodness, do I wish that I could do that. He's quick to forgive himself for running, but slow <laughs> to forgive these people when they repent. Literally, God says, Jonah, do this. And he turns the exact opposite direction and runs and then forgives himself. But the people of Nineveh do exactly what God tells them to do, and Jonah's slow to forgive them, right? He's like, I can mess up all I want to, but those people, they did exactly what God wanted, and I still don't want them to be forgiven. 
It's so easy for him to forgive himself, but he struggles with forgiving others. There's a quote in a book called Unoffendable by Brent Hansen. Uh, I'm not a good reader, so I listen to things on Audible. I've listened to it two times, and I'm on my third time, because my goodness, do I need this book every single day, because I can be an offended person like I told you. But what he says is he says, that person you find so offensive, somehow God sees something there, something you don't. Ask him what it is. Maybe he'll show you. I bet he wants to. Think about that. Think about the people in your life at work, the guy who smells, you don't know why. He's just like, does he not shower? I don't know what's going on. I'm so offended by him. I don't wanna be by him. I don't like the tone of that person's laugh. Like, get them out of here. It's so easy for us to just be offended by people. But what we need to do is say, God, listen, this person's really annoying me right now. What do you see in them? Show me what you see in them because I want to love them. And what we need to realize is that we're, when we're offended by other people, a lot of times they're also offended by us. A lot of people are looking at us like, goodness gracious, that guy is annoying. He's really skinny and tall and his voice is kind of high. What the heck is he doing? I don't want anything to do with this guy. As, as we're offended at others, people are at the same time offended by us. And so we need to desire to love them and say, God, what do you see in that person? Because I know you created them. I know that you have a purpose for them being in my life. And as we do that and we love them, just think about the changes that can happen. It continues on in verses four through six. It says, the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? I'm just gonna stop there because I need to, I already have a lot of tattoos, but I need to like tattoo that on the inside of my eyelids or something. Like, is it right for you to be angry about this, Michael? Is it right for you to be angry that that person in front of you is going the speed limit? Because you know it's the speed limit, right? You're the one that's doing the wrong thing. You're the one that's speeding, right? But I'm so angered and offended by this person for making me one minute late, even though it's my fault for not leaving on time. Is it right for you to be angry about this? Think about that question and switch it up. Is it right for you to be impatient right now? Is it right for you to be offended by this? Put whatever it is, that default in your life that you wanna see changed, put that in there and say, is it right for me to be angry about this? Because I need this every single day. It goes on to say, then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. He doesn't even respond. God says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this? And he's like, oh, I'm just going to go. <laughs> he just leaves because he knows he lost. He knows he lost. He leaves and goes and just watches the city to see if what is going to happen, like what he said was going to happen. He's like, you know what? God's not going to destroy them, and I'm just going to be over here pouting about it. He's having a little hissy fit, and he's acting like a baby. But the crazy thing is, once again, we see Jonah here turning his back going the exact opposite direction that God is telling him to do. But God follows him. It says, the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Oh, once again, Jonah is turning his back and running from God, and God's blessing him in the midst of his tantrum? God is loving Jonah even though he is turning his back and doing the exact opposite thing that God tells him to do. And Jonah's comfortable here. I can just picture Jonah sitting under the tree arguing with God in his head. Do you ever do that? You know, these little fake arguments with someone that you've never really met, but you have it all planned out. If that person over there comes up and says this to me, I'm ready, right? We plan out these things. I can just see, I can just see Jonah sitting over there on the edge of the city like, oh yeah, God, will you? Shoot, I think he can hear me. We got a problem here. Jonah's just sitting over there, 
arguing with God in his head, not focused on what's going on, just wasting his time. And even though he's having this temper tantrum, he's so focused on himself that he's missing out on the fact that God just gave him this gift. He's missing out on the fact that God is showing up in his life. God meets him in the midst of his tantrum and provides him with a gift. And Jonah finds comfort in something that is affecting him positively. His mood changes because he isn't uncomfortable anymore. He was hot. God gave him shade, and now he's happy. We love comfort as human beings, right? We love to feel comfortable. Have you guys ever slept in a bed with bamboo sheets, by the way? I know it sounds weird, but there's these sheets that are made out of bamboo. Woo, really comfortable. A little sidetrack right there. But we as humans desire comfort. But as Jonah gets his comfort here, he doesn't change his mindset. And what we need to realize is that our comfort should not decide our posture. The way that we're feeling should not decide the way that we hold ourselves, right? We live in Charlotte, guys, and this weather outside needs to make up its mind. It's cool in the morning, then it's 103 in the afternoon. I'm like, I don't even know what to wear today. What's going on? I can get so hot and uncomfortable outside that it affects the way that I hold myself and how I respond to people. We can't allow our comfort to affect the way that we hold ourselves. Just because you're having a bad day, just because I'm having a bad day doesn't mean that I need to go and treat my wife poorly. She had nothing to do with my bad day. Just because I'm uncomfortable doesn't mean that I don't need to love her well. Just because people at work are annoying me doesn't mean that I need to talk bad about my boss behind his back, right? Just because we're uncomfortable, we can't allow that to change our posture. Verses seven through eight says, this is funny, y'all. If you don't think the Bible is funny, then you just keep reading, okay? Because God created humans, and humans are funny, so he's the creator of humor, in my opinion. So it goes on to say here, so God gave him his gift, right? But he's not done working there. He's got another plan. It says, but God also arranged for a worm. A worm, guys. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Guys, God is just trolling Jonah here. He's like, you know what? I've got the whole universe in my hands. Jonah's not going to die from this. I'm just going to get rid of that plant and make him really hot and uncomfortable again. It's hilarious. But ultimately, God is teaching Jonah something here. He's teaching him a lesson through all of this. And all the things that we go through in life, God is constantly moving and teaching us things. We see Jonah, after receiving this gift from God, becoming entitled to that same gift. He thinks that he deserved the blessing and that it shouldn't be taken away. Guys, the tree came from God in the first place. And now Jonah's like, no, I deserve that blessing, God. Remember that one time I turned my back on you? Oh, no, I guess I don't deserve it. Jonah becomes entitled to this blessing. And when God takes it away, he gets upset and angry and says that he would just rather die. Have you ever found yourself becoming entitled to the things that God gives you? You have a job. He gives you a job in a time of need and it provides for you for years, but then God's got something else in store and it might include you being unemployed for a year. And you're like, "Eh, but, but this job, that job was just fine, God. Please, can I have it back? I was making good money. We become entitled to these things and we forget that God is blessing us and that they are from him and that they are not ours in the first place. And when he takes this away from Jonah, he becomes entitled to it. Verses nine through 11, it says, then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? 
Again, he's saying that same thing. Jonah, come on, take a step back. I think we all could, could, could learn a page from that, taking a step back in life and being like, okay, should I be angry about this? Because I think my day would be a lot better if I didn't overreact about this situation. He says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted. Come on, man. Even angry enough to die. A plant died and now Jonah wants to die. I don't know what's going on in his head. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, but you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Hey, animal lovers out there, right? We see it. God brings it in here. He's like cats, dogs, whatever it is. Not to mention all the animals. Should I feel sorry for such a great city? God is teaching Jonah that he needs to be forgiving towards the people of Nineveh. Jonah's so upset that a plant died, but he's not upset that 120,000 people didn't die. He's like, what, what's going on here, Jonah? You're only thinking about yourself in the situation. God's trying to teach Jonah that he needs to be forgiving. Now, this may only apply to a couple of you today, but I really want to challenge you to think if there's anyone that you need to call after service and forgive. Anyone who maybe affected you and you're still carrying that today, there's a song that reminds you of that person. You're like, I hope that they're not doing well. <laughs> Whatever it may be. So I wanna challenge you today. If you're thinking about that person, whatever their name is, give them a call afterwards and be like, hey, what you did really hurt me. I'm just gonna be honest. What you did really hurt me and I'm still carrying that pain and that weight and that damage to this day. But I've been forgiven for what I've done and so I wanna show you forgiveness as well. Because God's trying to teach Jonah that here. Now at the end of that, it says that the 120,000 people were living in spiritual darkness. In Hebrew, so the actual Hebrew, spiritual darkness means that they don't know the right from the left, or they don't know what's right from wrong. So these people don't know what they're doing. They've never read the Bible before. They don't know who God is. They don't know any of this kind of stuff. They don't know what is right or wrong. And in 1 Corinthians 5.12, it tells us that it is not our responsibility to judge outsiders. It tells us that it is God's job to judge those outside the church. So these people who don't know what they're doing, it's not our place to judge them. Those people outside these walls, our job is to love them. Our job is not to say, you shouldn't be living like this when they've never read the Bible before. They don't know what's right or what's wrong. It's God's, judge, it's God's job to judge them. Our job is plain and simple. Our job is to love. Our job is to say, I don't care what your, what your sexual preference is. I don't care what your gender is. I don't care what your race is. I don't care what your political view is. I don't care about any of this. I'm called to love because that's what God did. It is not our job to judge these people. It is our job to love. Brent Hansen says later on in his book, Undefendable, Jesus encountered one moral mess after the other. And he was never taken aback by anyone's morality, ever. I can't find any stories where Jesus sees an immoral person and says anything like, wow, okay, well, that really is disgusting. That's just too much for me, right? We never see that with Jesus. He chases these people down. He goes out of his way into cemeteries to find people who are cutting themselves and who are possessed and who are controlled by demons and the things in their lives. He goes out of his way to these people who believe things that are different from him to show them love. And that is what we are called to do as well. We experience moral messes all over the place, but it's our job to love them. 
And we as broken human beings don't have the power to see good in people. We have to ask God to show us his design in others. Brent Hansen goes on to say, we can trust him with judgment because he is very different from us. He's perfect. We can trust him with anger. His character allows this. Ours doesn't. It's very difficult for us as humans to separate our emotions from judgment, right? If we're feeling upset, we're gonna be a little bit more angry at someone. We're maybe not thinking clearly. Anger can make us do crazy things, and we see that here with Jonah. He's doing crazy things. He's upset that a plant died, but not upset that 120,000 people could have died. Our emotions get in the way so much. I want you to imagine really quick a judge who's deciding the outcome of your court case. Would you rather him be angry when he makes his decision or level-headed and rational? Would you rather the judge look at the people who are crying and hear the things that you said and the things that you did and be so offended by you and then make his decision? Or would you rather him think level-headedly as he decides the outcome of your case? Because that's what God does. God is level-headed. He doesn't allow emotions to blind him and affect the way that he's loving people and caring for people. Our job is to love. It's not to judge. Our job is to love. It's not to judge. Could you stand with me? It can be easy to look at Jonah and see how he fulfilled almost all of those defaults and the Lord worked with him and forgave him. We need to recognize our defaults and bring the Lord into them. Whether yours is anger, offendability, selfishness, pride, lack of forgiveness, whatever it may be, God is bigger than all of them. God's bigger than my anger and my impatience. And I gotta bring him into it every single day. Before it even happens, it's gotta be preventative, guys. It's like, God, I know I'm about to get on the road and I do not like driving with these other people in Charlotte. So can you please give me patience, Lord? We need to bring God into these situations, into these defaults in our lives. Again, whether they're offendability or anger or selfishness, whatever it may be, God is bigger than them. We need to bring him into them. We need to place them in his hands and we need to deny ourselves and become others-centered. We need to deny ourselves and become others-centered. Just think about a slow wave doing that. If I stopped thinking about myself and started loving someone else before myself, and if they stopped thinking about themselves and started loving someone else, and then it's this cycle. Imagine all of us in this place putting ourselves to the side and becoming others-centered. Eventually, all of our desires would be met, but not because we're thinking about ourselves, but because we're thinking about others. We need to become others-centered. And this entire story of Jonah is amazing because it's an example of what God has done for each and every one of us. Before we even knew him, before we knew what was right and wrong, God loved us. He saw our brokenness, but he also saw his creation. God sees our brokenness, but he sees who he created and who he loves. God pursues us, and when we repent, he forgives us. We see that with these people of Nineveh. God wants to change his mind and love and forgive, and I'm so grateful that he has today. You guys bow your heads with me. 
I want you to think about your default. I want you to think about the things that you struggle with. Again, for me, mine is just anger and impatience. Something that I struggle with that I need to bring God into. I want you to think about that now. And if you want God to meet you in your default, if you want God to begin working and changing in your default, will you raise your hand for me saying, God, I have this default that is wrecking me. I don't wanna be angry anymore. I don't wanna be impatient anymore. I don't wanna be offended anymore, God. I don't like this. I need you. I need you. Thank you. God sees your hands and he sees your heart. We need to desire to change. We need to desire to change our mind and no longer choose those defaults, but choose the defaults of God. Again, with your eyes closed, if you're someone here who's never met Jesus, if you've never heard about God or you don't know anything about this, but you see the way that he loves Jonah and you wanna know this man, you wanna know this heavenly father. If you're someone who doesn't know Jesus here today and you want to, will you raise your hand for me? Saying, yes, this man sounds amazing. Thank you. Will everyone pray with me? God, thank you for chasing me. I know I run a lot. And I'm sorry. Lord, I need you. I can't do this on my own. And I thank you for loving me. Lord, I give my life to you today. Because I'm not strong enough to do this. Thank you for meeting me where I am. I pray that you can change me from the inside out. We love you, Lord. Amen.